All right, how are we? Good, good, man. Glad you're good. We got a lot to celebrate around here. God has been doing some great things, not only at our church, but I was telling you last week, other churches that we are sister churches with, and we want to celebrate what God is doing there as well. And I was telling you about Cross Point City, which is in Cartersville, and they are literally like a sister church with us. We are working together to plant new churches, and they just had their grand opening last weekend. Their new building had to go to three services. They borrowed our platforms to do baptisms on, and they baptized 16 people last weekend, which is just awesome. Yeah, we just celebrate that. And um, like I told you, a win anywhere is a win everywhere. And so we want to celebrate that. It's the same team. And then so far this month, between Canton and Jasper, we've had 34 people get baptized here as a part of Revolution. You can cheer and clap for that as well. Yeah. So if you're adding that together, that's 50, baby. We're just running up the score. And so we're just enjoying it. If you got a Bible, open it up to 3 John. 3 John, we've been preaching through, just in case you haven't been here with us since Memorial Day, we're preaching through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We've already done 1st John, we've already done 2nd John. Today and this week, we'll hit 3rd John, and if you don't know where they are, they're right after 1st and 2nd John, and that joke is still funny to me, but it's towards the back of your Bible. If you get to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far, all right? So just hang a left, and you'll find it. 3rd John, small letter, not a lot of verses in it, but you'll see, hopefully, that I think it's packed full of important truth for us that if we'll learn it, I think can have a huge, profound effect, uh, effect in our life. And so as always, before we open up the scriptures, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we just want to take a moment and recognize our helplessness, recognize the fact that without your spirit, Making us alive, we're dead. Without your spirit opening up the truth of the word and enabling us to see and to hear it, we're helpless. And so, Father, I pray as we open your word now that you would open our eyes, open our ears to see and hear the truth in it. And God, I pray that it would transform us from the inside out because that's what you're all about. And God, help me to be faithful to the word. Help me to preach it rightly, God, because without your Holy Spirit, I am powerless to do that. And so, God, we want to collectively say to us, talk to us, speak to us, change us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Third John, there's only one chapter, but again, third John chapter one. We're going to look at the, just the first four verses today, but just because it's four verses doesn't mean the sermon's any shorter, all right? Uh, so don't get too excited about that, but I hopefully it's good. We're going to look at verse one and two first, and then I'll show you some other corresponding verses with that, and then we'll come back and hit three and four. So let's jump in. Third John chapter one, verse one and two, it says this. The elder, as John referring to himself, we talked about that a few weeks ago, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. That's the title of my message today, that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your what? Let's try that again. If you're new, I'd like for you to call and respond every now and then as it goes well with your what? Soul. So here's John writing this letter to his brother and his brother in Christ. He calls him the beloved Gaius. And he says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. The concept of that is you're developing in a positive way. 
Now, that idea of health obviously has kind of a, a physical component to it. And the concept, again, we know from birth, the goal is for us to develop in a positive way. Again, from conception on, and that's where we believe birth actually happens. We want the baby to develop in a positive way. But I love how John doesn't just talk about health in terms of a physical sense, that we want you to, to, to develop in a positive way. He says, yes, I'm praying that all may go well with you. And the term all there is encompassing all that it means to be human, all that it means to be Gaius. And so John is praying, I'm praying that all of you, Gaius, everything in your life will develop in a positive way, that you'll be in good health physically. And then he says, as it goes well with your soul, as it goes well with your soul. How many of you know that the goal is not only to progress in a positive way physically, but the goal is also to progress in a positive way mentally and emotionally, which is amazing. Again, the more that we've studied the brain, the more that we've studied what it means to be human, we know that a human being, when they are born, has a certain genetic code. And that genetic code is obviously made up of male and female, the mom and the dad, and, and you get part of each other and it you know, makes a new human being, and then they develop physically. But we also know that they have a certain hard wiring in their brain, their personality, who they are. This is the whole nature versus nurture argument, which I don't even know why we turn it to an argument because both are true, right? And so nature, which would be God, is putting in a certain type of person. So when my son was born, he, you know, got some of me, got some of Lindsay, as most people said, anything good they got from God, anything bad they got from you, right? And so it came together to make my son. And so he has a hard wiring, his personality, who he is. I can't put in when God, what God intentionally left out. He is what he is. However, we also know that if he doesn't develop emotionally and physically in positive ways, that that will also affect his brain. That will also affect his growth. And so my goal as a father and my wife's goal as a mother is to help our kids develop in a positive way because of us and our influence in their life in such a way that they don't have to see a counselor as much when they're old, right? Isn't that kind of the goal of parenting? You hope to do the world a favor and to do your kids a favor to, to help them develop in a positive way. And we know that's not just physically. It's also mentally, emotionally, and that is what John is getting at here. He's saying, listen, I'm praying that all may go well with you, that you may be developing in a positive way physically and in your soul. Now, this word here, soul, is, is an interesting word. It's the Greek word psyche, literally. We just brought it over into English. And so when we think psyche, we think mind. In fact, this is where we get our term psychology, which anytime you, you know, put an ology on the end of a word, it means the study of, and so it's the study of the mind. Psychology was my minor in college, and so I learned a lot about all the different thought processes about human development. I think one of the reasons why I did that subconsciously is I was trying to figure myself out, right? And so when you, when you think psyche or you think psychology, the concept of it is, is in your mind. 
And what I think is so helpful here, and I'm going to give you a couple other verses to kind of show what I think the Bible kind of lumps these things together, is there are different parts of us. You know, we, we use words, and the Bible uses words like heart, mind, soul, strength, spirit. You see all these words in the Bible, and they are used almost interchangeably to describe the different parts of us. And I think for the longest time, I was really kind of confused about what part was what, because you know Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What are those things? And so there's you know, references in the Old Testament about your heart, about your spirit. And so you kind of look at this throughout the Bible, and you're like, what part is which? And over the summer, when Lindsay and I were gone, we spent, I was telling you last week, a couple days with Chip Judd, who was here doing our marriage conference, and we actually had conversations about this as it related to Lindsay and I in our own life and how we were developing, hopefully, in a positive way. And he helped me understand this kind of from like a categorical standpoint, and and I want to share some of this with you because I think it's incredibly helpful about understanding ourselves and how we should develop or grow in a positive way. You don't have to turn there, but I do have it on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. If you're taking notes, you might just want to write it down as a reference. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole, what's that next word there? Spirit and what? And be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's try that again. May your whole and, and all right. So Paul gives kind of a three part division here. Now, again, You can't force categories because the Bible doesn't force these categories and it uses these terms differently. But I think what was so helpful to me was understanding the whole part of me. He says, I pray that your whole, that means entirely and applies to all three parts, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body. And the idea is this, the word spirit is the Greek word pneuma. It's the same exact word we use to talk about the Holy Spirit. It means breath or wind. Now think about it like this. When God formed the first man out of dirt, he fashioned him together. Then the Bible says he breathed life into him. And so he, that, that's the concept. He gave breath. So what it means to be human is this. First and foremost, we are spirit. We are spirit. That means life. That means breath. Then he says, your whole soul. That word soul is the exact same word that John used in in 3 John, um, psyche. Your whole pneuma, your whole psyche. Now, when we think psyche, again, we think mind, but the word is kind of a big category. And so when you think of the word soul, think mind, will, emotions, So spirit, you may think heart, because we talk a lot about heart. The Bible talks a lot about heart. For soul, think mind, will, emotions. We talk about feeling things in our heart, but we now know the brain controls all that. We know the brain through the limbic system is the one who controls emotions. 
And again, depending upon how your psyche grows up, whether it was in a positive way or not so much in a positive way, you're going to feel certain things. And when you feel certain things, even though your brain's controlling them, you don't feel them in your brain. You tend to feel them in your heart. Or the Hebrew idea is you felt it in your gut. And so the Hebrews would talk about feeling in your gut. That's what we talk about, a gut feeling. It's in your bowels, literally, is the concept from an Old Testament perspective. You feel them there, but they're not the ones originating it. Your brain is the one originating it. Again, from all the studies of the brain, we now know this. The back part of your brain is the one that controls the emotions. And so your passion, your love, all that kind of thing. We also know the front part of your brain is like the traffic cop. It's the one that's trying to regulate those things. And we know from a teenage perspective, when a child turns into an adult and they go through what we call puberty, all the back part of their brain is starting to fire off and they're getting all the emotions. The problem is a teenager's front part of their brain isn't developed till they're about 18 to 20. Straight up. That's just the God's honest truth. It's still gray matter there. It hasn't made all the neural connections yet. And so teenagers, you may have all the passion in the world, but no sense. <laughs> Which is why we need parents, right? To help us, hopefully, your parents have developed their soul in a positive way, and they have common sense. But I don't know if you've realized, common sense ain't so common anymore. And so the whole concept is this. When he's talking about psyche, mind, will, and emotions, what he's saying is he hopes that God also sanctifies that. He says, may your whole spirit, may your whole soul, mind, will, and emotions, and bodies, the Greek word soma, be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these kind of three-part division in which you could very easily see, okay, God is three in one. And so it kind of makes sense that he would make us in his image like that. And again, I don't want to force all these categories, but it's just a helpful concept to think like this. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Let me say that again. You are a spirit. One day when you die, your body and your soul will be buried but your spirit will live on. You are a spirit. You have a soul, mind, will, emotions. You live in a body. Here's why this is so helpful, and here's why this is so important. When we talk about salvation, we talk about, as John was praying for Gaius, I pray that all may go well with you. I pray that you're developing in a positive way, that you're healthy in your body as you are healthy in your soul. What's important to think about this is how the process of sanctification happens. And again, this word sanctification is just a theological, biblical word that means to make holy. When you think of being made holy, think about it like this. God's whole plan and goal for you to develop in a positive way is to make you more like Jesus. Because Jesus is holy. You want to know what a holiness is? Look at Jesus. So Jesus is spirit soul and body, all holy, no sin. And so the goal of God is to make us like that. And here's what was so helpful to me. There's kind of a three-part process to that. So I'm going to give you this point, 
And then we'll unpack it some more. So this is on the screen. This three part is this. I was saved in my spirit. I was saved. Past, I'm talking about myself. I was saved in my spirit. I am being saved, present tense, in my soul. I will be saved, future tense, in my body. And that's the whole process. I was saved, past tense. There was a time I didn't know Jesus. There was a time my spirit was dead in trespasses and sins. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. I was dead in trespasses and sins. But God, in verse 4, made me alive. But God made me alive. What did he make alive? He made my spirit alive. How did he make my spirit alive? Well, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, which is one of my most favorite verses. I use it often around here. He says to Nicodemus, he says, listen, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's been born again, literally regenerated, regenesis. And Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? I can't go into my mother's womb. And Jesus rightfully says, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Why? Verse six and seven. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So here's the concept. When you were born physically, you were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Your spirit was dead. What, means that, what that means is your heart. The concept is in the Old Testament, think about Moses when he was going to Pharaoh and said, you better let my people go. The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And the Bible also says God hardened his heart. So when you kind of think of that concept, a spirit is a heart that is hardened against God, is dead against God, doesn't want God, doesn't want anything to do with God. This is why we need God to give us a new spirit. Again, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this to you as a reference. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20, which is in the Old Testament. And you see the promises in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. So here's the promise that God made to Ezekiel. This is God talking in verse 19 and 20 of Ezekiel 11. He says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them. That's the Hebrew word, ruach. And the same concept of breath, wind. I'll put a new spirit within them. Now listen to this. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. You could also write down Ezekiel 36. Verses chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, God repeats the promise. He says, I will put a new heart in them. I will put a new spirit in them. And then he goes a step further and says, I will put my spirit in them, capital S. I will put my ruach in them. I will put my pneumach in them. Because if they don't have a new spirit, they can't walk in my statutes. So think about it like this. What the Old Testament commands, God enables in the new through the power of his spirit. So here's the deal. I thought about this because I love alliteration. He says, I will put my spirit within so that they can walk in. 
So think about it like this. You and I cannot walk in the statutes, the law, in obedience to God if we don't have the spirit within. If you don't have the spirit within, you can't walk in. So transformation, listen, is not an outside-in thing where you just fill your soul with more information and you just read a bunch of stuff. How many people claim to know Jesus and they know a lot of knowledge, but they don't have a right spirit? Their spirit hasn't been regenerated. Their spirit hasn't been born again. How do you know? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he makes your spirit alive. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee. He sealed, signed, and delivered our spirit as a down payment for what God would do in our soul and one day in our body. So you are a spirit, and when you trusted Jesus, God gave you a new spirit, put it within you, removed out your heart of stone. And the idea of a heart of stone is one that is unresponsive to God. And then God put in a heart of flesh, a new spirit that is automatically responsive to God because it is his spirit. That's what it means to be saved. Now, here's why this is so helpful. You can be saved in your spirit, past tense. Let me say it to you like this. Your spirit will never be any more saved than it currently is. If you're saved, your spirit is saved. But check this in the point, I'm being saved in my soul. My soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. Have you ever had a moment to where you know, like, I, I know I trusted Jesus. But you don't feel saved? You ever had that happen? Am I, am I the only one? Yeah, that's happened. It happened a ton in my teenage years and in my 20s. Thankfully, by God's grace, my soul's not as sick as it once was when my spirit got saved. He's been saving my soul. And that process is what the Bible calls sanctification. So in one sense, I'm already, my spirit is perfect in the eyes of God, but my soul is being perfected in the eyes of God. So there's a lot of us, listen, there's a lot of us that our spirit was made alive, our spirit was made new, we were saved, but we're just struggling in our soul. We're struggling in our mind. We're doubting. We have fears. We have anxieties. We have depression. We have temptations. We have struggles. And all we do with people sometimes is just tell them, hey, you just need to pray more. You're not a good enough Christian. If you just read your Bible more, you wouldn't have all this. And we fail to understand, listen, yeah, my spirit can be saved, but my soul's still in process. And since my soul still is in process, then I'm having to work through some things by the power of the spirit to get my soul in line with my spirit. And what that means is this. This is what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Very, again, think spirit, soul, body, uh, kind of, you know, three-part system. Look at what Paul says in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Again, you don't have to turn that in. I don't have this one on the screen. I'll just quote it to you. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, somas, as living sacrifices. For this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? mind. 
think I'm saved in my spirit, but my soul is still being transformed. How is my soul transformed? By the renewing of my mind. My soul's still getting in line with my spirit, and I better offer my body as a living sacrifice. Why? Here's how it works. I sin in my body. I sin with my body. But why do I sin in and with my body? Because my soul hasn't been renewed. So here's what we do wrongly a lot of times. We will attack the sin from a behavioral standpoint. I just need to behave. So we'll shame ourselves. We'll even try shock therapy, right? When you reach for the cookie, you know, like. But that's an outside-in approach. And, and I did that for decades until I understood the power of the mind, the power of the soul. And I learned about a thing called strongholds. Now think about it like this. Eric Mason, who did our men's conference a few years ago, talked about this, and it was so helpful to me because he said a stronghold is the mindset behind the action. So often we just try to deal with the action, but we don't deal with the mindset. What is the mindset? The mindset is the soul. Listen, your soul is a nuclear wasteland made up of your childhood experiences, your already pre-hardwiring in your brain, made up of all your emotions. This is why somebody can be 40 years old but have the emotional stability of a teenager. Because something happened and it stunted their growth and they didn't develop in a positive way in their soul. Their body went on, but their soul got stuck. And what happens in those moments is we develop these strongholds and a stronghold is a mindset. And you want to know what strongholds and mindset are based on? Lies. Now, why do you sin? You want to know why you sin? Because you want to. It's that simple. This is why you can't say, the devil made me do it. No, sucker, your soul made you do it. The devil just provided the opportunity. The devil provided the lie. You provided the choice. But here, I'm gonna, I want to help you. Why did you provide the choice? Why did you choose in your soul, your mind, will, and emotions to act that way in your body? Because you believed the lie that said, if you did it the other way than what God says, it would actually bring you more joy. So you want to know why you sinned? Because you thought it would make you happier. See, most people aren't on a truth quest. Most people are on a joy quest. You're out for joy. And here's what I'm here to tell you. That's okay. It's okay that you're on a joy quest. But here's the great message of the Bible. Joy comes in the truth. Joy doesn't come through believing lies in your soul. Joy comes in believing truth. Why? Because Jesus said, John 8, I quote this to you often, if you know the truth, the truth will set you what? Free. Notice he didn't say, if you know the truth, the truth will set you in bondage. No, the truth will set you free. What does free mean? It means your soul has joy. Your soul is at 
peace, your mind, will, and emotions are in tune with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not only saved your spirit, but he is now saving your soul. And how does he save your soul? He does that by reminding you what Jesus said in John 16. He'll lead you into truth. And so the good news of the Bible is this. There is a more powerful promise than the lie that you've been told. There's a more powerful promise. You want to know how you destroy strongholds in your mind? Replace the lie of whatever the promise is with a greater promise. With a greater promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this. All the promises of God are a yes in Christ. Don't you want all God has for you? Okay, one of you does. Um, Yes, I want all God has for me. But here's the thing. God has a lot for me. And he sent Christ so that all the things he has for me, which are all the promises he made in the Old Testament, I can have them. They're now a yes to me in Christ. And so the power of promise is what tears down the strongholds in your soul. Somebody should amen that one right there, man. Come on. The power of promise is what tears down the strongholds in your soul. Literally, we know this. Now, again, studying the brain. I say we like I'm a brain scientist. I'm not. I just read what they write. But we know this now that every time you make an action, your brain is lazy. And so your brain is going to cut a neural pathway through the gray matter. And your brain is going to tell you the first time you do something, this is what we do. And so if you grew up in a very dysfunctional house and you saw how people handled their stressors, and if they handled their stressors by sticking their face into a gallon of Rocky Road every night, then your brain is going to tell you that's how you handle it. So guess what's going to happen when you get into a stressor? You're going to have a stronghold, your brain, that's telling you this is how we handle it. And you, by the power of a greater promise, have to cut a new neural pathway and you say back to your brain, no, we're not going down that trail, we're going down this one. This is called talking to yourself. I just had this conversation with my 14-year-old son this week, trying to help him grow in a positive way. And I said, son, do you know what it means to listen to yourself versus talking to yourself? He's like, what do you mean? I said, you know, when you're out there on the football field and you're getting tired and you're getting worn out and you start listening to yourself, you start listening to your mind, your mind is lazy, your body is lazy, and your mind and your body are saying, quit. I said, son, when when you listen to yourself, you got to talk back. See, all of you know how to talk back. The problem is you're just talking back to the wrong person. You got to talk back to your soul. Because here's the deal. You got to know this. The devil cannot touch your spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is greater than an evil spirit. 1 John chapter 4, test the spirits, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Antichrist. Anytime you, I love this, anytime you saw Jesus walking around and a demon-possessed person would be there, they would say, son of God, what are you doing here? It's not our time yet. And check this, they had to ask Jesus to throw him into a pig. They couldn't make that decision themselves. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has power over every other spirit. So he cast them into the pigs. They knew who Jesus was. 
The devil and his spirit, his demons know who Jesus is. They know who the Holy Spirit is. They used to be in heaven with him. They can't touch your spirit, but you know what they can do? They can destroy your soul. How do they do that? By lying to your mind. By the culture, the world, sending you all kinds of messages. The Bible calls the devil the power of the prince of the air. I was so blown away one time when I was meeting my counselor. She said, Jason, he's the power of the prince of the air. How do all the communications come to us today? They come to us wirelessly. He's got control over a lot of that. So he can lie to you and you'll believe it in your mind. He can't touch your spirit, but he can wreck your soul. And so you've got to talk back. You've got to tell your soul that's a lie that will not get me joy. If I go outside of my marriage, that will not get me joy. If I take vengeance on this person, I will not feel better about it. If I am mean to this person, because even though I want to be, I will not feel better. I might temporarily feel better about it, but later on, it's just going to harden my own soul. And then I won't love anybody. How do you do that? You talk back with greater promises. You know what that means? You better have this book memorized. You better know what this says. You better know God says, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. You love them. You bless them. Does your soul want to bless somebody when it hurts you? No. But the spirit better communicate to your soul. This is what we do. Your soul's being saved. This is so important for us to understand. And here's why this is so helpful. So many of us feel so unsaved because our soul is still a wreck. And all I'm saying is this. That's called a process of sanctification. I'm not who I will be because my body's not resurrected yet, but I'm not who I used to be. The fruit of the Spirit is growing in my life. And we'll talk more about the flesh next week, the flesh and the Spirit, and how those two work together, so make sure you're here for that. But here's all you need to understand. The same God who saved you in your spirit will sanctify you in your soul. That's the promise. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. How does he bring it to completion? He does it as you renew your mind through the reading of his word. Hebrews 4.12 says his word is sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of spirit and soul. Let's look at the last two verses. We got to wrap this up quickly. Back to 3 John. I told you this because it was four verses. Doesn't mean it'd be any shorter. That's why. Three and four, it says this. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, I want to tie these two things together because I think it's so helpful. John says to Gaius, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and told me about you. That it was getting along well in your soul. That you were becoming more like Jesus. And I'm praying that it's going along well in your body too. I rejoice greatly to hear that. And then he says this. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. 
Now, we're pretty sure John didn't have biological children. We're pretty sure he wasn't married. But he's referring to Gaius here as his child. But Gaius is his child in the Lord. So the concept is John more than likely led him to Jesus. And now John is helping his soul develop in a positive way. And here's what John is saying. I get no greater joy than seeing my kids walking in the truth. How are they walking in? Because they've got the spirit within. Now, let's put these two together. You want to know the greatest test to see if your soul is sick? Do you rejoice greatly over other people's souls progressing in a positive way? If you don't rejoice greatly, if you don't get great amount of joy from other people's soul progressing in a positive way, your soul is sick. If you get more joy when somebody does something wrong and you think to yourself, well, they got what they deserved, your soul is sick. If you get more joy out of harboring bitterness over somebody because they hurt you and you can't forgive them, then your soul is sick. And Jesus says to the point, if you can't forgive, you may not be forgiven. When is the last time in church we took that as the measure? Because here's the thing you need to know about church. I'm going to give you one big news flash. If you haven't realized it already, you're going to get hurt in church. If I haven't hurt you yet, just hang on. We ain't done. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to let you down because I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm Jason. Newsflash to me and my soul. You're going to hurt me. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. And when someone hurts me, am I going to take this stance of they hurt me? They hurt precious. <laughs> they hurt God's greatest gift to humanity. Or am I going to look at that person and say, you know what? They probably hurt me because someone in their past hurt them. They, they probably hurt me. And, and maybe they did mean it for evil. But guess what? The promises of Genesis 50 is this. When Joseph stood, Joseph stood before his brothers and said, you meant it for evil, but the Lord meant it for good. When Joseph had the power to kill his brothers, he didn't. He blessed the mess out of them. Therefore, showing that Joseph's soul was healthy. Church, let me tell you something. You're going to get hurt. It's only a matter of time. And your soul, your brain, your will, your emotions is going to want to fight back. It's want to get vengeance. It's want to defend yourself. It's want to get bitter. It's want to hold on to that. But guess who suffers? Your soul. And so if you get joy out of watching other people get what they deserve, your soul is sick. You're sick. And it's high time for Christians to quit acting in their flesh and start acting in the spirit and saying to the world, we've got such a great gospel message that not only God forgave me, but by the power of his grace, I can forgive you. Yes. My friends, that's the best way we can say the message. 
If somebody hurts you and you just leave, the gospel message suffers because you couldn't forgive because that's what the world does. And so do you see how healthy John's soul is that he's saying, I have no greater joy than seeing my kids walk in the truth. Church, let me ask you this question. What is the source of your greatest joys? Is it your house? Is it your bank account? Is it your looks? Or is it Jesus and watching him transform a life? Your own and somebody else's that you love. What's your greatest joy? Listen, I got two kids, one biological, one adopted. I have no greater joy than watching them develop in a positive way. But you know what other joy I get as a pastor? Watching my other kids walk in the truth. I've said this often, but I just want to say it again because it brings me so much joy. There's two guys on our staff that used to be students with me back in Texas. I've known these jokers since they were in fourth and fifth grade. Brian, our production director, and Corey, our student minister. I saw them give their life to Jesus, walk with Jesus, saw them get married, saw them growing up in a positive way. And now on Wednesday nights, every, every Wednesday night here, Corey preaches to my 14-year-old son who's sitting in the audience and I get no greater joy than watching my two kids walk in the truth. Church, you want to know why you don't have as much joy as you could have had? Because you're not leading other people to Jesus and watch them walk in the truth. You're leaving joy on the table by thinking another trip, another thing, another gadget, another deal, another whatever will get you joy. You're leaving joy on the table because you're missing out on what Jesus is in, because what will live forever, the Bible says God, his word, and people, that's it. So make an investment in those, and your joy will be eternal. So as we wrap this up, let me ask very simply a question. Are you saved in your spirit? Has there been a point in time in your life where you were born again, the Holy Spirit made you alive, you saw the truth about who Jesus was, and you asked him to forgive you? If you have, then how's your soul? How's your soul? Is it going along well? If not, then maybe God still needs to do some work in your soul and you need to believe a greater promise about what he wants to do in you and then through you. And then how's your joy? Are you giving away the gifts that God has given you for the sake of others and I'm telling you, your joy will go through the roof. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes now and makes us alive to see the truth about Jesus. God, and I pray if there's anybody here that has not been saved in their spirit, their spirit has not been regenerated, they have not been born again, we know that that only happens as your spirit makes them alive. So would you do that now? 
nobody looking around or talking here. I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Have you been saved in your spirit? Have you trusted Jesus? Had faith and believed and confessed? If you haven't, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and give you an opportunity to pray with me. Not out loud, but it goes like this. If you want to trust Jesus, pray with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me. You sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Make me alive. Forgive me for my sins. I'm trusting in Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Now, again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that with me very simply, we want to celebrate with you. Would you just lift your hand up if you just trusted Jesus? Thank you. We've got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. But then I know there's a large part of us that we've been saved in our spirit, but if we were honest, our soul is pretty wicked still. Then the prayer is very similar. God, would you help it to go well with my soul? Would you help my soul to develop in a positive way? I feel stuck emotionally and mentally. And it, Maybe God is going to bring somebody to your mind that you need to forgive. Maybe God's going to bring a circumstance that you need to speak into. Or something that you did to somebody that you need to confess. Your soul is only as sick as the secrets that you keep. And then lastly, our hope is the fact that one day Jesus will return and he will save our body. And then our spirit, our soul, our body will all be one with him. Father, thank you. Thank you for not only saving us, but thank you for continuing to sanctify us, making us more like Jesus God, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us to get our mind right. Help us to talk back to our soul the promises of your word. Help us to speak truth to ourselves, not just to listen to ourselves, but to talk to ourselves. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.